Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on the Indo Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me and she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tanish Dimitri Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This is an Irish Independent podcast. I think it'll be a good thing for them and it just depends who, who they select. But whoever they select, will it'll be good for the team at the World Cup. Uh, and one thing I would say is, like, I, I think you know they probably need to give some serious thought about how they're going to utilize Sexton at the World Cup, particularly when it pertains to South Africa. It's really not a popular opinion that I have, but I just think that it's very hard for us to pitch up after a physical game against one of the big teams, like a really, really physical game without a load of injuries. I remember asking a former Leinster player, who would you want? If Sexton goes down to World Cup, who do you want? And he went instantly said Ross Byrne. So the players around him trust him implicitly, and he's never got a right a good go at it with Ireland. It was a busy Christmas period for the Irish provinces after a feast of interpro derbies, and we now enter 2023 with the Six Nations on the horizon, but with plenty of URC and Champions Cup action to keep us occupied. In the meantime, Will Slattery here with you. Hope everyone had a nice Christmas and a happy New Year. Delighted to be joined by Rory O'Connor and Luke Fitzgerald for the first show of the New Year. And Rory, as I said there, lots to be excited about and positive about. But the big story at the moment is probably more of a negative one. Johnny Sexton, you know, with that injury he suffered against Connacht, he's going for surgery. We don't know how long he'll be out for yet, but safe to say the start of his Six Nations is probably in jeopardy. And it kind of brings into focus once again the tightrope Ireland are walking, you know, relying so much on someone who not only is kind of at his age, but also picks up a lot of injuries. It's the second kind of medium-term injury he's had in the last couple of weeks. I'd love to keep a running count on how many times I've written about it, how many times I've talked about it on podcasts, such as this one. Um, but it has been this kind of red flag hanging over Ireland's World Cup 2023 that they, like, it's it's part of the problem is that Sexton is so good and he's such a, an inf- influential, brilliant player. And that shouldn't be a problem. Obviously, when he's fit and available, he's, he's sensational and he's so important to this team and he's delivered on time and time again. And that's not a negative team un- thing until he's not there. And I suppose what we've all known is that he is going to turn 38 between now and the World Cup. Um, this had nothing to do with his age. This had more to do with his tackle, tackle technique, really, because he went high, caught Jared Butler in the face um, and came off worse at a collision. And it, it just, you know, seven or eight months out from the World Cup and just before the Six Nations, which is going to be probably the final Six Nations of his career and, and one of the crowning glories, you would hope, because Ireland are number one team and one of the favourites and the schedule lines up nicely for them. He's now in a, I think he's in an annual race to be for Six Nations. You know, he's he always had some sort of issue going into it, but this looks pretty bad. I mean, we could see on the video evidence as he came off the pitch that 
it was pretty uh, a rough looking. You know, you can see the the dent in his face. Um, Leinster were very. Um, the language they use in their statement today is quite opaque. You know, the the, the and it's not unusual for Irish rugby to to get opaque language around injuries. But they said it's a cheekbone injury. They said he's gone for a procedure. They didn't use the word fracture or broken. They, you know, we know it's a suspected fracture or break, but we don't know the details behind that. And they say they'll know after the procedure how long he'll be out for. So I think it's fair fair to say he's he's out for the next two European games for Leinster. Think he won't play for Leinster again before the Six Nations, and that's a concern because he looked a little bit rusty. Like there was some great moments on Friday, on Sunday night, but there was also a couple of ro- ropey bits that he, you know, he hasn't played for a while. Um, but I think there's like every chance he's going to miss that Wales game as well, and we just don't know how the face is going to pitch up. I used the example earlier, like Sun Young Min played at the World Cup with a face mask because of a similar injury, and and he's still wearing that face mask, and obviously. You can't wear a face mask playing professional rugby, you know, international rugby in particular, especially the way Sexton plays. So it's, it, you know, it could be a blessing in disguise in terms of getting good lads game time. But if you think that Ireland's best way of winning the World Cup is to win the Six Nations beforehand, and also if you think that Six Nations is worth winning in its own right, which it is, um, that's a major blow to Ireland's chances in that tournament. And um, well, look, it's really unfortunate for Sexton himself because this is an important moment in his career. He wants to sign off the Six Nations. He's got a long relationship with the tournament and he may miss at, at least a chunk of it as a result of this injury. Yeah, and I don't think he had to be a doctor to see that big dent road as he mentioned that it looked pretty you know, severe at the time that he, he might have to face some time on the sideline. He'll have started only four matches and two substitute appearances so far this season. If he misses this big chunk of time before the Six Nations, he, he will be you know pre- pretty undercooked. Luke, you know, as, as Rudd kind of outlined there, like a lot of different facets to this. You know, obviously Ireland were targeting a Six Nations win, no doubt. But I've seen people say, oh, maybe, you know, if other guys get game time at out half, then maybe it does kind of insulate the team for later on in the year if something similar happens at the World Cup. Like, what's your kind of view on the kind of whole narrative or the whole kind of storylines now that, that this injury has come about? Yeah, difficult to say, isn't it? I mean, I think, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I... Making comments on stuff like this, I have to leave aside the kind of personal relationship there. Uh, very disappointed for him. Um, you know, Rudd's kind of mentioned a lot of the points around last Six Nations and that. Um, and that'll be disappointing on a personal level for Ireland. But look, I'd probably be leaning the other direction and that I think it's quite positive for the team generally. Uh, I think, you know, they've been putting off taking their medicine here for, for quite a while. And look, of course, Johnny's been playing brilliantly as well, which which is the other side to this thing as well, is that you're playing so well, you can't leave him out, regardless of what age he is. Um, but I think it insulates the team uh, to, to talk to your point directly. I think there's been lots of guys who look like they're playing pretty well, actually. I think Ross Byrne looks like he's playing very well. Um, I think they've decided on Joey Carberry, but I'm not sure that's actually right, because if anyone watched the game up in... in um, in the Kingspan, uh, Jack like Crowley was unbelievable. He was, it was fantastic throughout the whole game. His ball handling, he totally controlled the game well. Um, you know, you can see he's a big game player. Had a big moment at the end to get them up in the right part of the pitch at a key moment to to win them the game. So I have to say, uh, I think it'll be a good thing for them. Um, and it just depends who who they select. But whoever they select will, it'll be good for the team at the World Cup. Uh, and one thing I would say is like I, I think you know they probably need to give some serious thought about how they're going to utilize Sexton. Uh, at the World Cup, particularly when it pertains to South Africa. It's really not a popular opinion that I have, but I just think Ireland will not be, I have proven on a lot of occasions really, bar this summer really in New Zealand, or last summer in New Zealand, um, that it's very hard for us to pitch up after a physical game against one of the big teams, like a really, really physical game. 
without a load of injuries. Like South Africa seems to be able to do it on a regular basis, just how they play rugby there. France as well, but they have way more depth. Um, you probably said the same for New Zealand and England. We don't have the same kind of depth. And I think that they need to think about how they're going to approach that game. I, I'd be I'd be putting out a second string in that one. I don't think we can I don't think we can go if we have ambitions of going further in that competition, and particularly when it doesn't really matter how we get out of the group. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'll be playing sex in that game. I, I just wouldn't do it. And I know I could see your <laughs> Will's face there is <laughs> he's disappointed with me. I can see you're not you're not you're not happy with that point of view. But I think it, it it's it's a it's a time to think about this and I also think it'll be good for the team because it'll insulate us. So that's how I think about this injury. Yeah, there's, there was a lot of stuff of that I wanted to answer, but then the, the last point where I just have to go to first, like, you know, we have talked about this before. I think you, I, you might have brought it up. I know we're so far out from the World Cup and we're looking to go down too much of a rabbit hole, but let's just touch on this for a second, Rod. Like, I, I, people have said this before, like, the, the mental kind of signal you'd be sending out to the rest of the tournament if you didn't play your big guns in the biggest pool game, I think would be detrimental to the squad morale. I just think it would be... It would be going against what Andy Farrell has been saying about how he's been building his project if he just kind of almost kind of rolled over in, in a big yeah. game like that. Like, I think it's actually not the one to rest him for. I think Scotland is the one to rest him for, but it's only if you've beaten South Africa that you can do that because the way it, put, it falls is Romania, Tonga, South Africa, week off. So you have a two-week break after that South Africa game. So... You know, you would hope that the body, the sore bodies. Look, you're going to pick up injuries in these games. You pick up injuries against Tonga as well, um, but you have a two week break until the Scotland game. And I think, like, I know we can write off Scotland all we want. Um, Scotland, who could have John Cooney and Ben Healy as their nine ten by the time it comes round. Um, but I think if, if if you've beaten Romania Tonga, but you lose to South Africa and and Scotland have the same record as you going into that game that's a massive pressure game. Like you don't want to put that much on one game and that's a week ahead of your quarterfinal. So if you do it the other way, you you go and you beat the, the first two and then you beat South Africa and you've basically qualified. Then you go and you play Scotland. You could probably rest, put Sexton on the bench for that game, give him 15 minutes at the end if you want to. But then you've got him fresh with three weeks off coming into pretty much coming into a quarterfinal because if you want to win the tournament which Ireland as number one team in the world and a team has just won a series in New Zealand should be going there to do it shouldn't be a better quarterfinal it's just we've all got hung up on it over the years you want to go back to back to back over four weeks you got Scotland quarterfinal semi-final final um I think everything we know about Andy Farrell says he won't do do what Luke's saying and I, I can see the merit in it I can see the logic in it but I I think the way it's fallen with the schedule, I don't think you can go half baked into South Africa just because you're making your four knockouts in a row. Whereas if you win against South Africa, you're giving yourself a buffer for that Scotland game where you can go and and, and maybe rest some players, including Sexton for that game. But you're you're not really because like like unless we think that we're going to beat South Africa out the gate and we're going to have a comfortable enough points difference. Like that's which I just think is not going to happen. Like, I really don't think that's going to happen. I think it's kind of a. I nearly think the South Africa game is nearly irrelevant, particularly when you know who you're going to be playing in the quarterfinal. Like, let's just get past the quarterfinal, in my opinion. And, and I think if you're looking to get out of the group, like the the, the safest way to do it with the best group of where the best best amount of people available for that quarterfinal is to to not play them against South Africa. South Africa, it's an absolute animal of a game. And they are savages. Like they, I'm telling you, you'll come out of that with a load of injuries. I think it'd be a big mistake if he does it. You know, you, you've you've got to be aware of your resources. And I, and I just think like it doesn't matter. Like the South Africa game is only going to be a couple of points in the difference. So if you if if you know if Scotland are in the same position, they don't get beaten at the gate, 
Like it literally comes down to a straight shoot between you and Scotland. Like it's it's going to come down to that regardless anyway, because the points differential is going to be so small. That that's what I think about it. Yeah, perhaps. And look, I think Scotland and Tonga, like Tonga, may have a role in this in terms of taking points off people. Scotland could take, like Scotland could conceivably take us. Like there's this whole we know from the last World Cup that, that surprises happened or the last two World Cups, like Japan beat South Africa and beat Ireland. So. You know, you can't. And France lost to Tonga in what was that, 2011, got to the final. Like, you know, these we can game this out all we want, but until we're actually there, you won't know what the results are going to do. But I think at this remove, I know that I think probably what's playing on on a lot of people's minds. And Luke, you were you were there at the time. Like Ireland put so much into beating France in the final pool game of 2015. It took out four, you know, one player suspended and three major players injured with Payne having got injured a week before as well. And like you know, limped into that quarterfinal against Argentina, and and just it, you know, that that was a massively damaging um, game. I think we'd already qualified before we played France, but Joe Schmidt didn't want to play against New Zealand in the quarterfinals, so he went full on against France, built it up as this massive emotional thing, and we saw that they weren't able to get you guys weren't able to get up again the following week. You know that that was a part of the problem. And look, you lose five players of that quality, it's going to have an impact. So I I can see where you're coming from with it, but I do think that knowing what Farrell. You know, as little as we do about Farrell, who keeps quite a guarded um, front up, I think he's going to go full balls for South Africa because I think I think he would he would agree with Will that it would send out a weak message if if we didn't go full on. And he's also looking at the schedule, thinking we'll have two weeks afterwards, so I can get the the right bodies on the pitch. And if I can beat them, I send out a statement to the world that we're here to win. I can also pretty much qualify because I think it'll get you enough to get through. And like it, it doesn't really matter who you play in a quarter final because France or New Zealand's a bit of a toss of a coin anyway. So um as long as you get there, you're you're going into that quarter final with um with a similar chance of getting through. So I would I can see your point with it, but I think I would go full for South Africa and maybe then rotate into Scotland if, if you have the points on the board that you need to get through. I can guarantee that this is not the last time or the second last time or the third or fourth or fifth last time we're going to have this conversation. And it is an interesting one. I can see both sides. I I kind of made my point earlier about what I think they should do. But yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to go back road to something that Luke mentioned there. And one of our listeners got in touch with it as well. DMC was wondering about the out half pecking order in that first Welsh game if Sexton isn't fit. Like for you, who who should start that game? Like I, I agree with Luke. I like like Crowley's been playing really well. Like he, and there's something about him as well. He's bringing that kind of bit of a swagger, a bit of that that kind of out half a mentality we like to see in Ireland. Like like Carberry seems to have been written into that starting jersey for that Welsh game. But well, I think I think we're, it's we're a merit. Like, I feel like he's. I don't know if it's a merit. Carberry's playing okay at the moment. I think he's been playing playing okay since November. But I mean, okay shouldn't be the, enough to get you into the the jersey. And the Fiji game may have damaged him a little bit because he wasn't great that day. Um, I think the at this stage, I think the problem they have now is that they've gone so far into this World Cup cycle, and it's been Carberry all the way. Carberry was injured for the first year or two. They went with Billy Burns and Ross Byrne. They came away from that thinking that neither of them were good enough. I think Ross Byrne maybe moving back into contention in a big way. Sorry, I'm not saying may. I think Mossburn is in contention in a big way because you come on and, a clutch and kick a kick like he did against Australia and, and the coaches will trust you in, instantly in a very important facet of the game. Plus, he plays with... How many Leinster players are in the starting 15? 12, 13. He plays with all of them. He plays alongside Gibson Park. He plays inside Henshaw and Ringrose. He knows these players intimately. He knows the game plan and while he isn't as explosive as, as some of the other options, he is an excellent facilitator, a great goal kicker, a tactical brain. I think he sees the big picture. And I think Crowley's starting to see that picture, and I think Crowley has massive upside over the next 10 years. 
Um, he's only played 25 games for for Munster. And I think he is incredibly exciting and played really well at the weekend. But his option taking isn't always right. And like no one's getting all their options right all the time. But if you're talking about test match rugby and you're talking about leading Ireland to a World Cup in, in nine months and with, with like eight internationals between now and then, I think it's a massive ask for him to be next in line. I think Carberry has started big games for Ireland in this World Cup cycle. He has been the next in line. He has run this team in training for countless times in training training sessions. He's closed out games against the All Blacks. In reality, the job is to be Johnny Sexton's deputy and come on for the last 20 minutes of games and, and, and close them out. You know, barring an injury, which obviously could happen, and, and we've already talk, talked about that. I think Carberry still has the experience there. Crowley, I just think it's, I think he's in the mix, and I think for all he was in the mix before he got injured, but I think Ross Burns coming up in the outside nice and quietly there, and, and there's so much going for him that he could play a big role yet. Like, and I think that clutch kick just changed everything for him because I, I remember asking a, a former Leinster player, I, I can't go into too much detail because it was off the record, but a, for, a recent retired former Leinster player, um, who would you want? If Sexton goes down to World Cup, who do you want? And he went instantly said Ross Burns. So the players around him trust him implicitly. And he's never got a, right, a good go at it with Ireland. Um, and he's got experience. He started hiding in cup big games. He's come on in finals. It hasn't always gone right for him, but that's that's also part of being an experienced player. So I don't think what Luke thinks. And I, like, I think Crowley's so exciting, but I think like there's so much to be said for Rossburn. He's there. He's, he's been hiding and playing side for so long, playing so consistently well with these players. And he can kick those clutch goals. You know, that's... I thought it was interesting the crowd he handed over to kick into Ben Healy at the weekend as well. You know, like that's that's just a small thing, but like Rossburn would never do that. You know, I think it, there's a long way to go in this, even though it's quite a short period of time, but there's a limited window of opportunity for all these players. Yeah, Luke, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, Rossburn would be my number two. Um, I think, you know, he's more assured. I think he's playing more regularly. Um, I think he plays with the guys as, as uh, Rhodes alluded to. Um, and I think he's got a really raw deal. You know, I think he have been really consistent on that. I think that, that Twickenham match really was a bit of a bruise for him. Um, and I think it, was, it took him a long time to, to recover. I thought the pack got annihilated that day in Twickenham. And like, like I've seen, I've seen England, I've seen, I, you know, I, that England match, I saw Johnny Sexton have a, have a really rough one in the Aviva. That time England came and, and smashed us as well. Like it, no, no halfback pairing is immune to, to, to a bad game. Um, you know, if their pack is getting smashed, it's just it, it rugby just doesn't work like that. And I think that's the other factor that you have to, that plays into the the thing that makes it a bit closer than I think is that you know Leinster's pack are, are so dominant on a weekly basis that you do have to factor that in against almost Rossburn if, if you like. I know you could look at it two ways. You could say, well, he's playing with them on a week and week basis, but also he is going to look better on a week to week basis because he's playing with a better pack. He's going to have way better opportunities. Um, you know, to, to talk to Crowley, I was just really pleased. He just looks like a big game player to me. I think he's a nice tackler, um, which I always like in my tent to, to be a good tackler. Uh, I like the ability to break the line, even though I think that's probably less important in my mind as a 10. Um, I thought he looked really calm. I think the Munster team look way better with him in there. I think he's he runs the game. He runs the team well. I think the option taking isn't always like very good but i also think monster's positioning outside him isn't always great i think they're still getting used to him i thought they were overrunning loads of of play against against uh ulster i thought there was loads of times where they were crabbing across the pitch like they had lots of possession in that game at different periods in the game against ulster and couldn't break them down i think if he gets longer in there i think they position better off him and i actually think there'll be a way more attacking threat with him as 10 there i thought he ran it really well for a guy who as i said didn't the team is still that team is still growing, is still not its end product, if you like. Um, 
and I thought he did really well what he had. So I, I like him a lot. I, I think um, I'm always a little bit concerned about Carberry's kind of injury profile. I, I love, I, like, I think he's a really brilliant rugby player. I just feel, I'm just, you know my views. I just never really convinced fully by him as a 10. I always feel like he'd be a better 15. Uh, I thought that was a mistake, him going down to Munster for, to, to take that 10 slot action. I thought it was a mistake for Munster too. I thought they should have gone for Byrne, but I don't think he would have gone at the time. So, Look, I'm digressing a bit. It's a really interesting topic. I think what's really positive for Ireland is that post-sex, and I do think there's lots of guys there um, to to fill that void. And look, we, you know, Rudd's touched on Frawley. I'm a huge fan of Frawley. You know that for, for a very long time. But I didn't think he was playing brilliantly before he left. And he's going to be... Like, I thought Harry Byrne was very good when he came on the weekend, actually. He thought he ran the team really well. Now, they were on top of Connacht. But I just don't see him getting enough rugby at 10 to actually be a factor in this at this stage. I think he's going to, you know, he's going to suffer from from not moving from Leinster at a time when he's playing well. Um, so that's why I haven't talked about him too much there. I really rate him. I think he could be the second best, but he just won't get the time. Um, current pecking order for me, Ross Byrne at, at, at uh, 10. I just think he's got the best head and the shoulders for the job. And he's a steady hand. And he's got a big, he's got, he's a big game player too. Probably not match. I know he hasn't done unbelievably well in some of the finals, but um I think you know, you think of that Ulster kick uh, a couple of years back when Stockdale dropped it that match. You know, that was a big kick. You know, he, he's done it against Australia as well. I think he's a big game player. Yeah, and for him, like he'll have good opportunities against Gloucester and Racing, you'd presume, over the next couple of weeks with Johnny Sexton injured ahead of the Six Nations if he is in the mix to kind of get a bit more battle hard in a couple of big games, in particular the Racing one at the Aviva, which you'd presume Racing hopefully send over a, a strong side and that'll that'll be a good game. And it seems like a long time since Harry Byrne was kind of the person that everyone was kind of pushing and, and was in the mix. But yeah, as we said, a very interesting topic. And a lot will depend on if Johnny Sexton is, is definitely ruled out for those first two games. We've seen him come back from uh, injuries pretty quickly before. So so who knows? Rod, one thing you said there that I actually would like to ask you about, about Andy Farrell, and I know you wrote about it in your piece talking about that documentary on RTE about Ireland and the All Blacks. And Andy Farrell, with all the success he he's had with Ireland since he come in and He's a very well-known rugby personality anyway with all his lines work and his England work before that and rugby league and obviously being Owen Farrell's father. But he hasn't really peeled back the layers as the Ireland head coach. We don't really know that much about him really other than his kind of story that's well-publicized. I don't think he's done a single kind of in-depth interview, kind of spoken much about his life as Ireland head coach or since becoming the Ireland head coach. And it only kind of struck me reading your piece about it that I was like, He's really kept people at a remove or the, the public or the media at a remove. Is that a fair thing to say, do you think? Yeah, like he's never gone in the late late. Like he, he, you're right, he hasn't done a sit-down interview with anyone since he started um, as head coach. He had done one or two as defence coach over the years. Um, I think the fact that Owen is playing at a high level is part of it. I think he they, they've almost got a pack there that they don't like to talk about it, their family and their, their that whole dynamic, I think. The fact that he's been a professional player since he was 16 and he's always been in the limelight, he, he knows how to handle the media and I think he likes to keep them at arm's length. Look, he's he's. It's not to say he's unfriendly or that he, he isn't able to have an off-record conversation with a journalist or come into a press conference and be quite engaging and charming and, 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 and stuff like that. It's, it's not like that at all. It's just I think he has retained a bit of a distance between himself and the, the, the media and the public through it. I think it's all rugby and that's, that's his prerogative. That's all you, you know, you give as much as you want to give. Um, and I thought that the documentary gave a little bit more of him in terms of his personality and what he does behind the scenes and um, that charisma that shines through. Um, part of, I think it is, is, is the fact that so much of his tenure took part during lockdown and, and 
you know, a lot of his media work was done via Zoom. I, he has warmed up. He's better in person and he's warmed up and he's he's gone into a few things about how things have made him felt in the last year or two. And I think if you talk to people around um, the part of Dublin where he lives, or the, the rugby club he's, he's been involved in, you know, he's got young enough kids in, in Dublin. I think, you know, he's on the pitch watching them play minis and stuff like that. I think people would say he's a really warm character and he's, he's really, bought, I think he loves living here and he's, he's really bought into life there. Um, he doesn't publicise that side of things at all. But it, like, it's not to say that he's, you know, a very unfriendly distant character. It's just I think he's kept a, a certain level of kind of professional uh, distance in, in a way. It's interesting, like when Luke was playing, we would have all been in Carton House for press conferences and team announcements and stuff. And we'd go and hang out in the lobby and, and kind of do our work there. And you'd bump into players and they'd bump into you. And sometimes it'd be awkward and sometimes it wouldn't be. But like as soon as you look over, we were moved. Like all media takes place at the High Performance Centre in Abbottstown now. It's just a small thing, but it's it, it, he's very much about giving the players space away from that side of things and, and, and kind of... Um, we were very much put, you know, you, that's where you go to do your media. It's not part of the whole thing. It was just a small thing, but it, it was quite telling at the time as well. Yeah, I'm not trying to say, you know, he's unfriendly or anything like that. It's just that, you know, you compare him. I know Stuart Lancaster is a club coach rather than the Ireland coach, but I feel like Stuart Lancaster does like really meaty sit down interviews every 30 seconds almost. You know, he, he's out there and he's he's very giving of his time and he's he's he likes to talk, obviously, and people like to listen to him. He's a very interesting character, but I feel like I kind of know everything about his uh, kind of journey or his career or his life since he's come to Leinster. And it's just, just an observation I made because he's such an interesting character. Andy Farrell will be interesting at some stage if he he does sit down. It's not as if Joe Schmidt, I suppose, did did loads of kind of sit-down interviews either, but it just felt like he, I don't know, that we knew more about him or that he was a little more, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe just how Andy Farrell interacts with the media. I just feel like he does keep a, a distance, but... You know, as you say, that's that's his prerogative. That's how he likes to do things. Um, moving on, maybe Luke to the kind of the Christmas period for the provinces. Like as we go into the new year, there was lots of interbros. Which of the provinces kind of has your interest peaked the most? Uh, Got to be Munster, I think, hasn't it? I think uh, you know, you think at the start of the season, we were all really concerned about you know where they were going. I'm sure there was a lot of internal concern as well. Um, they look to be in a far better position to to my mind, and they'll be really brimming with confidence. I think after that comeback win against Ulster, you could see the coaching box after and, and what it meant there. So I was really pleased for them. Um, you know, the other one on the flip side, um, I know you asked for one, but like Connacht or sorry, Ulster are like whew, I, I don't know what to say about them at the moment. I'm I've gotten a little bit concerned about uh, you know what direction they're going, where their mindset is. I thought against Connacht, I mean. Jack Hardy, if Jack Hardy puts that kick over, I mean, you'd be wondering how in God's name they lost that. Um, the game against Munster was a bit more hard fought, but like they were still in a brilliant position at the end of the game to close that out. And um, a lot of thinking to do behind the scenes. And I think it's, I don't think it's actually, I don't think this is a coach's issue. I really don't. I think this is a player issue. I think they really have to knuckle down and and and, and have a think about what's causing these lapses in concentration. I, th- I feel like they think... Um, you know, particularly when I talk, think about the Connacht game in in the sports grounds, there was a moment there where um, Connacht they 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 got held up, or there was a try disallowed, but they had a penalty. Connacht thought it was a try. They literally they had jogged up to the other side of the pitch. They were getting ready to receive a kickoff because it was a try under the post, or, or so they thought. Uh, referee disallows. They go back down for a penalty, and Ulster is sitting there for got to be a minute, minute and a half at least, while the referee is deciding on whether it's a try or not. Uh, this allows it, and then they let them literally go over in two phases, I think it was, two or three phases, having been sitting on the line, like surely someone says, lads, we got away with one there, let's let's seriously hold them out, but they just gave up such an easy try, and then there was pressure all the way to the end, Connor kept that try and really should have nipped it, um, ah, look, it was a difficult kick, in fairness, but um, 
you know, most of the time, like really top class kickers would probably nail that one over. It was an unlucky look. It was difficult conditions. I feel harsh and carty there, but they could have lost that one as well. And I just feel like there's these lapses in concentration. And it's not just this year. It's over a long period of time, like literally snatching defeat from 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 victory. You know, it's it's a weird mindset at the moment, but they need to get it sorted. There's too much quality for this team to not be performing. And not be, you know, winning things or not be even read like they were, I know they were close enough last year, but they should be getting over that barrier. I think, like I feel like when I look at the coaching staff uh, and what the, and the job that they've done, like I can see the pillars, I can see, you know, what they're building there to to make the team successful in terms of the people they're adding and the game plan. But I, they just have these crazy periods in games and these crazy inconsistencies that uh, they're they're really troubling. If I was an Ulster supporter, I'd be tearing my hair out. Yeah, Rudd, I don't think we've actually had you on since the kind of Ulster malaise set in. I feel like last time you were on, things looked pretty good for them, and it's been a, a disastrous, you know, six weeks, pretty much since that Leinster, you know, defeat they had when they had a big lead. And then even, like, listening to Dan McFarlane's comments, you know, he mentioned that they thought his own team was soft, and then he kind of changed it a bit and said soft in a rugby sense, not physical or mental. But even saying soft in a rugby sense, even using that word around your own team is a pretty stark admission. Like, what what's your kind of view on what's happening at the moment? I, I think they've been massively massively damaged by the Leinster defeat and I think they put a lot of store in the fact that they beat Leinster twice last season and they were so close to to, as Luke said taking the Stormers out away from home which I think would have been a great result you know they were very close they probably didn't have the bench to get it over the line um and they came into the season going like you know we're we're not far away here and we're not far away from Leinster and and Leinster lost to the Bulls and and there's a way of beating them and Leinster would up and beat them up up in Ravenhill in the first game and then they got got them down to 14 men in, in Dublin and, and I'd say they they thought they were in, in a great position you know and, and they were flying into half time and Leinster obviously got that try just before half time and then Leinster came out like a different animal after half time and based I, I think the damage that was done that night to their psyche has they just need a break now they, they're they not going to get one it's just week on week on week they've got big games like Treviso this week is a huge game for them um, because they're in a hole and like they're still in a very good position they're in a much better position than Connacht or Munster but it doesn't feel like that you know, in the URC, they're like they're they're still. I think they're third in the table, and they're, they're like they will get to the playoffs. They'll be in Europe next year. Like they're not in the same, well, barring an absolute collapse. That you know, they're not in the same position as the other two who are fighting for their lives. But their form line is so poor, and they're losing games. From you know, they were in such a good commanding position on 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 Sunday. They they should never have lost to Munster from that position. It's credit to Munster because Munster went and won it, and they show great spirit to do it, and they show great ability and skill. And and Munster had a lot of ball. They, that you know, Munster probably would, would be frustrated they didn't score more over the course of the 80 minutes. But to get that Balakou and try and then lose it from there, it says all sorts of the wrong things. And then it kind of feeds into, well, you were hammering Leinster at half time against 14 men. You lo- well, going into half time and you lost that one. You lost to the Stormers from winning position last year. You lost to Toulouse from winning position in Europe as well. You know, there's a trend and that's it's not a good trend. And, you know, you see, like Ian Henderson looks like he's come into a team. Um, that was flying and need and, and looked like he was going to slot in, but he, he needed to get back to his fitness. And suddenly he's trying to put out fires all around the place. And it's him that misses the tackle on Jack Crowley, really uncharacteristic, but he's not able to get his confidence up just as the team, the team needs him to lead, but he needs the team to kind of allow him to get into it. having been injured for so long. And it's just a bit of a perfect storm of disaster for them. And it's, it's just, you know, I think they'll like, They'll come out of it. They'll get a Six Nations break, and I think Europe's a bridge too far for them now. With you know Sailing and La Rochelle, maybe they'll squeeze into the knockouts, but they can still rescue the URC. But they have to, they have to not lose it. And, and you know, it seems like a couple of players have been frozen out over the last while. 
Um, we saw Jordy Murphy playing for the last. I, I thought Jordy Murphy was injured. I asked one of my colleagues up there, and he was like, "No, oh, no, no, he's just not getting picked." You know, there's like guys we haven't seen for ages in that squad that are just, um, you know, good good players that we know are good players that have seemed to have fallen out of favor. This, just the dynamic up there seems a bit strange right now. So, um, but they can't be. They can't have become a, that bad a team overnight. They've still got really good players. They've still got an incredible backline. Martin Moore's out for the season. That's a bit of a disaster for them because he's he's such a consistent player for them at at at. at uh, tied out prop but they have good players so i would i would expect them to bounce back in time but at the moment they're in a bit of a spiral and that's like and when the coach starts coming out again you know and saying the players those things about the players i think that's a sign that he's kind of at his the end of his header as well trying to get a response from them yeah as you say a massive game against benetton this weekend and then into two more european games away to la rochelle one of those two matches as well which is going to be very tricky and the probably best they can hope for almost at this stage is winning against Sale, maybe at home and getting into the Challenge Cup through the kind of the, the, the back door and maybe potentially reigniting their their season that way. Because as you say, they're, they're at least they've kind of banked enough points from a strong start that they're they're probably going to be able to finish top eight anyway. But as you say, <laughs> it's been a tough couple of weeks for them, and, and there's a couple of difficult games to come. And Rod Luke mentioned Munster as well. Like it's funny how you say you know Ulster ahead of them in the table, but the mood music is completely different. Like Munster have a losing record this season, but there seems to be a lot more positivity around them at the moment. And if you even look at their fixture list now, the next five league games, the Lions at home, Benetton away, and then Osprey, Scarlets, and Glasgow all at home. Like that, they could kind of shoot up the table if if they win all those games, which you'd say they're probably favoured to do so. Um, on paper, so you know, what's your assessment about of how they've kind of rebuilt after that very difficult start? And I'm just looking at the table here. Like the Sharks are on 29 points in fifth, and they're they're serious now. They've got all their Springboks back, so you expect them to go up the table. And, and then they've played Glasgow, two games less, I think, as well. Yeah, they have. And then you got Glasgow, Benetton, Cardiff, three of the teams that you mentioned, I think. And um, then Munster are ninth, but even below that, the, like they're on 27 points. You know, th- there's nothing between them and the teams below them. And I don't think Munster are good enough yet that they can take any game for granted. I think one of the great things about Munster's season and what's making it so enjoyable to watch week on week is it's a bit of a white knuckle ride because they need to beat the Lions on Friday um, without their internationals because they, they they need to sustain this momentum. They get they put themselves in such a hole at the start that they're um so yeah, like they need they need to keep winning week on week and and they're not quite good enough that they could like I think in previous years they could probably get some of those fixtures, you know playing 70% they have enough to get past these but they kind of have to be at 80-90 at the moment and we're seeing incremental improvements we're seeing I think they're struggling to break teams a little bit with their attack but their attack looks nicer like you know it looks slicker and like you know they're not doing it for aesthetic reasons they want to be effective as well but there's a nicer shape to it there's a you can see what they're trying to do and you know, maybe they don't have the game breakers in the open and out wide that, that are able to kind of finish the moves or to, to break the defense wide open. Frisch and Fekatoa didn't look like Fekatoa looked better at the weekend, but oh, still I took him off looked, after 50 Frisch minutes. Frisch looked good to you, uh, and he looked better with a second playmaker. He, he had a lot of good moments at all. No, he did, but I think I just think that combination um, doesn't necessarily do it for me. You know, I think I think they're both it's one or the other, and like they're two. Your I know Frisch is Irish qualified, but they're, they're your two signings. It's unusual, um, so. And their pack is playing well, and Gavin Coombs has shown up big time. Like they lose John Ryan in a few weeks. Like he's, I know he wasn't playing at the weekend, but he's been an important part of what they've done in the last couple of months. Um, so I would have still had like a couple of concerns about them, and I don't see them. Like Leinster, is so so far away from all of the other Irish provinces. Like their performance on Sunday, while not perfect by any means, was just like it's a different sport when you're like you're know, watching the Munster Ulster and then watching Leinster is different different gravy altogether so um I don't see them stopping Leinster the only teams that can stop Leinster in the URC are the, the Stormers and the Sharks but 
like Munster could still have a, good, a contextually good season from where they started if they can get into the playoffs and get into, you know, have a bit of a run in Europe. And that, that's a pretty good return for them. They're, I don't see them winning any trophies this year, but they're giving their fans a lot of value for money. Yeah, and like a lot of Munster fans I was talking to over, you know, the Christmas period, I was down at, down in Cork and the, <laughs> the positivity was there. Like it was undeniable. Like they, they, you know, they lost at home to Leinster, but there was definitely positivity among Munster fans, which you couldn't say the same thing over the last couple of years. People respect that they're going down a different path and there will be growing pains and even though maybe the results haven't been as good as they'd have hoped they do think there's promise there and you know players like Jack Crowley like are really connecting with the supporters like when he came on against Leinster or where Joey Cabby went off and Crowley took the keys for the last while people were enthusiastic people like Jack Crowley and they like the direction they're going in Luke one interesting thing about Munster as well as Ben Healy and his future Keen Tracy our colleague was writing about it last week that he might be off to Glasgow or Edinburgh and could be ending up in a Scottish squad because he's Scottish qualified. Like, what do you make of that potential move? Yeah, I think it's a good move from. Um, I think it'll be a bit of a loss for 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 Munster, but I think he should go one hundred percent. I think he's behind Crowley. Just I th- I don't think what I really don't like about Healy. I think his defense looks very weak at the moment. I think he looks like he needs to do a lot of work on that, and I just don't know if anyone has told him that because people feel like a ten can get away with it, but. Um, I don't think he can. I think he needs to work on that part of his game because he's a big guy. Like you can see, he's a decent athlete too. Um, I like a lot about Healy. I think he's got a cannon of a boot, which is always a really it's a great thing. If you're if you have aspirations of playing international rugby, you know your goal kicking, which I think his goal kicking looks to be very sound. I mean, I think he needs more games. Um, to kind of, I suppose. Um, what's the word? Kind of, if you like, kind of nerve proof it. If you know what I mean, uh, you know, you need to have a few nervy wins, like kicks to to win a game or kicks to get your team back into it, or you know, you need to have a few of those for for the province before you be a you know really top class international kicker, and then you need a few at that level too to get yourself in the high percentage. But I just like I like the way he strikes the ball. I think he looks composed when he's kicking the ball, um, and I, I love that part of his game. I think his, his his running game could could improve a little bit, but I think he's still got potential there. He's a nice passer of the ball. So I like him, and I think um, I just think there's that one chink in his armor at the moment that teams are going to keep picking him out if he's not if he doesn't fix it, um, and that gets exposed, you know, even more at, at international level. Um, so it gets the defense sword. I think he's a top class player. Um, you never like to see one of our own going. We don't have massive depth, but I I, I think Crowley at, at this point looks like a better player to me, and he looks like he's got more upside. And I, I maybe I've just tilted always towards the defensive thing because I think most people don't watch that part of the game, um, but I'm always watching that part, and I think um, he's ahead. And I think you know Carberry still has a couple of years left, so I just think his opportunities to play at ten won't be there, and I think Glasgow will be a great move for him. Yeah, like it's a bit of a no-brainer when you have two kind of prominent out halves at club level. You know, I don't know. It's not the first province to have a similar situation, but for the opportunity to go and potentially play international rugby uh, in Scotland is surely too good to turn down. But I suppose we'll have to see see how it develops. Rod, we had two listeners get in touch: Baz O'Neill and Simon Keenan, asking about potential Six Nations bolters. You know, after the Christmas period, we had a lot of interpros. Is there anyone I don't know outside of the kind of the core squad or, or the core starting team that you think really put themselves forward over the last couple of weeks? I think outside of the starting team, I think Ryan Baird and Jordan Larmer are in phenomenal form. And um, like Baird, I think, is, is putting himself in contention for that bench spot, at least. I think the, the menace that he's bringing to his carrying game and his tackling game, plus the breakdown threat, like there's not many second rows in the world who can finish a try the way he tr- finished it the other day. Like the, the gas on him was unbelievable. Um, so I think he's firmly in the frame. I think he's, he's sorted out kind of the attitudinal or... 
you know, I think he used to switch off a little bit, bit, and 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 you know, used to you'd hear the odd thing about stuff off the field. The players or the coaches just weren't massively in favour of. I think he's he's whatever he had to cop on to, he's copped on this season, and he looks like a really really top end rugby player. Larmer is just like just to like come he, in on Bear Road. It, it, I think it's since you did that big interview with him, his form has just seemed to have upticked. And I'm not even like I'm not saying they're exactly correlated, but it's, I feel like since that's been released, he seems to be playing better. You're an insp- you're I, like, an inspiration I can tell that day that he like everyone should spend an hour in Trinity College with me, just sitting on the shooting the breeze. Doesn't drink coffee, but we hit a. I was, like, he came across really well that day, and I, you just knew talking to him that he he was switched on like that that he had figured out some stuff over the summer, and I think you know not playing in the test matches like this is a guy who. Like he affected games in the Six Nations campaign two seasons ago. Like he, Ireland would have lost over in Murrayfield had he not stolen the ball back. And I, I, did he make a big charge down as well in that game, in the end game against Scotland, and the second to last when Farrell's job was on the line. And then last, like the last year, he's kind of found himself completely out of the picture. And he didn't start. It didn't play in any of the tests in New Zealand. He only played against the Maori. And I'd say he got a bit of you know strong feedback as to why that was the case. And he's come back and he's shown. Like you know, he, he referenced Courtney Laws in that interview, and he, he's he's kind of bringing that Courtney Laws style aggression to what he does without maybe as many of the, the late tackles that we got from Courtney Laws. So I think he's playing really really well, and Larmer as well is is like I know Mac uh, Hansen and James Lowe bring an awful lot to the table in terms of their ability to come off their wing and play play make, and we haven't seen Hansen an awful lot recently. But Larmer stepping at the weekend, um, I mean the way he did, Perel Tierno Halloran like. Uh, he's going to be having nightmares for years. He got stepped twice in the same in the same fluid movement. It was incredible. Um, from outside the squad, I think Tom Stewart up in Ulster, the hooker, he looks like a really top end player. And Rob Herring's been in and out. I mean, I know he's had injury issues, but he's also had a few selections. I think Stewart's got picked ahead of him, so he could come in. Um, you know, they're pretty. I think with, with Ronan Kelleher there, they don't necessarily need Herring to be, to be there as much. So that's one. You know. Elsewhere, it's a very settled squad. Jamie Osborne is it too late in the cycle for him? I mean, he's playing really well, and he's a he's a very high quality player. But he's in an area of of real quality, and we know Jimmy O'Brien can also play in the centre as well. So I'm not sure if they they necessarily need him. And I I really like the two Mur- they call them. I would say Murray brothers. I think they're known as the Murray brothers down in Connacht. I thought they were both really really good in that game at the weekend. They did a job on the line out. I thought the younger brother Dara brought a credible physicality. Probably again a bit too soon for this window, but uh, maybe post World Cup they, you know, it'd be amazing if they could play together for Ireland at some stage. But at least one of them looks like they could make the step up. So I've named a few there, but I think outside the squad, Tom Stewart's probably the one that I see um, with the biggest upside. I think he looks like a really quality hooker. Yeah, a lot of good players there. You name Luke. I might throw you one name that Rudd didn't say, and it's a guy who I always think about in terms of where he fits in the overall picture. Not Scott Penny. He's twenty three years old. 47 games for Leinster, 25 tries. Hasn't played a minute of Champions Cup rugby ever, which is hard to believe for someone with his potential and his kind of the kind of the impact he does make when he does play URC fixtures. And, you know, a man of the match against Munster, um, he's picked up plenty of man of the matches over the course of his career. Like, what, do you, what do you think about where he fits in in the overall Irish rugby picture? He seems to be too good and too much of a prospect to play as little as he does in, in big games. And he obviously is maybe reluctant to, to go to another province, but it is an interesting place he finds himself. You know, to not even play a minute of Champions Cup rugby doesn't seem to be a fair representation of what he brings to the squad. Oh, Will, I, my, my temptation here is to give my, my really unvarnished answer here. Um, but before I do that, I'm going <laughs> uh, to 
I just gonna I just wanna say because if anyone's there, like he is a seriously brilliant he's a brilliant rugby player. Like honestly, I love watching him play. I think he's a brilliant rugby player. But unfortunately, like he, he just he's just not big enough. It's just that simple. That's it. Like it's he's just not big enough. Like everyone talks about oh like, like he's big enough for the league, but he's not big enough for international rugby. Like everyone's like you gotta be a freak. You gotta be Jason Robinson, you gotta be Shane Williams, you gotta be I, I like there's just and he's just not a, not a big enough. He's not not a big enough freak. He's just not a freak in just in terms of the the, the physical output that you have to have. And you've got nothing in the line with him. Even for a lifter, you got to be taller because you're gonna you're gonna miss out in a little bit if he's lifting for you too. Like the extra inches actually do add up when you're throwing someone into the air as a lifter. I, I just feel really bad saying that um, because it's never. I don't know. The Champions Cup thing really is telling, Will. Like, he has been, as you said, he's got all the accolades. He's got the tries. He's got the, you know, you can see it's not just tries he affects the game and it's everything else. He's a brilliant poacher, all that kind of stuff. And that's maybe something that he does bring that might be uh, have a slight edge on some of those guys. But I just think, just not big enough. That's it. It's 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 that simple. Everyone at international rugby is tough. Everyone is a good uh, footballer. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone has everything that he has, but they're just three or four inches taller than him and probably five or six kilos heavier. Um, and that's an awful thing to say about someone. Uh, I hope I'm wrong because I think he looks like he's got a great attitude. Him, but I think he's a squad player for Leinster. I think he always will be. I think he could be one of those guys that's absolutely a key and vital part of what makes Leinster great week on week. But I don't think I don't see him making the step up just for that reason. Will like he's coming up. Like think think of who he's coming up against. You know, it's Reese Ruddock, it's uh, Ryan Baird, it's Caelan Doris, it's Josh van der Fleer, who isn't like all, oh, but he's not a huge man, but he's still a bigger man. Uh, it's Jack Conan. You know, it's all these guys. It's um, um, I can't think of anyone. There's another guy, the Michaels uh, Eight, um, is a very good player too. I can't think of his name. It's it's, uh, um, but basically they're all huge Max men. Egan. Yeah, so they're all huge men, you know. Uh, and I just think that's what's going to hold them back. Will uh, it's a miserable answer to give about someone. I actually hate myself for saying it, but it's the truth. Yeah, Ro, do you want to come in on that? I have interesting. I haven't heard someone kind of put it like that because it's a it's a conversation a lot of Leinster fans, I'm sure, have from time to time about you know it's, where he fits. Look, I think I think Luke has given a fairly unvarnished and and like we don't often get player, ex players say it. like you, they kind of often come up with euphemisms around these things. But like often when you ask kind of the Irish setup about a player, say Dennis Buckley for example, like you know, Connacht fans will be enraged that Dennis Buckley never got capped, and and you off you just you go to Ireland and you go, what's going on there? He's not big enough. And it's just the you know, like I looked at the stats there. Like he's 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 not as tall as Will Connors, but he is, according to the official stats, which are always a bit ropey. But he's heavier than Will Connors, and um, he's slightly smaller than Van der Fleer. But it's also power output and all that sort of stuff. Like they've got all the stats, they've got all the information. I do think he could if he got a run. Like he just needs. I think he's one of these players who needs opportunity. He needs Connors and Van der Fleer to be injured at the same time because at the moment he's got two internationals ahead of him in the pecking order. I think I see him as a seven. I know he can play other positions, but like. Leinster are clearly going down the big six route and they have big sixes so he's not in that conversation at all but he's he's a he, he's a seven and he could be an out and out seven like I look at Connor Oliver playing for Connacht sometimes and I think god he's a really terrific player and and he's just, I, I would say the same thing about him I don't think he's big enough you know I, it's it's not too late for Penny he's only 24 but he needs to be I think to be to be that size you probably need to be exceptional to be um an international player and he is very 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 good but when the big big games come, he's up against the World Player of the Year. And when the World Player of the Year is not there, often Will Connors is there as well. And we haven't had him for a while, but he's back this week as well. So that's a major barrier to entry. Like one of the best tacklers in the world, like a, a player 
incredible defensive player who can also carry an offload as well. So have you seen um, Will Connors in person? It's tough on him. There's it's no like way they're you, the same size person. Will yeah. Connors is a, is a massive man. Honestly, he's a huge man. I think he's a huge. I'm just man going anyway. off the Leinster website. The, the, according to the Leinster website, Penny's heavier. Which that's what's garbage. Honestly. Yeah, I, I like Penny. Like Penny's not person, like no comparison. It's, it's fair enough, but that's the challenge that Scott Penny has to overcome, and that's probably what drives him every day in the gym, every day on the pitch, and um, ultimately at some stage he may have to leave and have a career somewhere else because he wants to play top end rugby, and I think he can play very good club level, and I I wouldn't write him off playing international, but look, he's being judged by some of the best coaches in the world, and they're not picking him, and um. Like you know, I think if Andy Farrell re like he, they had him in in the last camp, didn't they? They had like he, he was he went to the emerging Ireland, and I think they had him in during the six during the November. So they obviously like something about him, but you know he needs to be playing better than Josh van der Fleer, and like nobody in the world is playing better than Josh van der Fleer at the moment. Can I just say as well, I I I, I feel terrible at that. I, I so probably one of the worst things I've said about someone on, on here, but like I you know he's a brilliant rugby player. Honestly, he is a brilliant rugby player. I I, I just want to say that, but like there's there's just I think the size thing will play it. Uh, uh, will play to against him unless he's playing week in week out, as you said. He does definitely need to leave if he has aspirations or of, of playing somewhere else. Like not, not having played one Champions League game is like that's the writing on the wall of your player. No, well, like look, it's, it's the great unspoken thing in in rugby. Like size is so important, and they have a profile of what players look like. Like they ha- they know what weight they want their tight head to be. They know what weight their their tight head lock to be. And to break that profile, you need to be exceptional at what you do. So if he's not as if he's not talking as big, like look, ultimately, like he, as I say, he's up against the world player of the year. So, it's, but it's Rod, not... Rod, Rod, just to come in, like if he's getting man of the match in half the URC games he's playing, like to, how can that not translate to even a, 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 an opportunity to play a single minute of I European Cup? Like, it's harsh, but like, is he better than Josh van der Fleer? No, but like, the, like, well, sorry, obviously the coaches are picking this team. I'm just saying that, like, you know, there's def- they rotate a lot in matches as well. Like, they don't play just they don't just run a player. No, play I know, but, but I don't think they they don't tend to put as an open and like they tend to pick Jack Conan on the bench. And Jack Conan's a lion. Yeah, um, they've got Doris who can play six and eight. They've got like he's not an ideal bench player either because he, he's really only a seven. I know they can move things around. Before he retired, he had Dan Levy ahead of him as well. Like he's just like it's an incredible array of players he's up against, and it's. I think if you move to one of the other provinces, you would get a lot more game time. But I still think you would have the same barriers to entry to the the international setup. Um, and I think that like that size thing is something that isn't spoken about enough. Certainly on the record, I think once you get people talking away from the, a microphone, they talk about it a lot, lot more, and it's all, and a lot of it is profiling, and it's like it, it's kind of clinical, and it it doesn't, you know, it's not the romance of sport, but like you know, and we've seen like Neil Back probably broke that mold for England and won a World Cup and like there is stories of players doing it and like Hamish Watson is an example of someone who probably doesn't I think he's probably heavier than, than Scott Penny he's unbelievably explosive but he's broken the mold by his through his performances so you've got to be if he wants to play for Ireland he's got to be better than Josh van der Fleer he's got to be picked ahead of him or he's got to get an injury and get in and that's the hard that's the ruthless truth about uh, top level rugby and as particularly in Leinster and Ireland where the competition is it's relentless. It's I, and I thought Penny coming out of the last World Cup. I thought Penny was the one who was going to make the breakthrough. But Andy Farrell went for Caelan Doris to follow him. Um, Six Nations as that was the big change he made to his back row. And like he's been proven correct about that. And like you know Ryan Baird is what is he six seven one ten and like can sprint like a an Olympian almost. Like you know like the, the 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 physical the athletic profile of these players is phenomenal. And and Penny doesn't have that level like he's a, he's an incredible athlete he's really strong and stuff but he's not he doesn't i don't think he has the same profile and i think it's you know it's pretty you know it's just not spoken about an awful lot by people on the record but it is a big big factor when these decisions are being made 
Yeah, and himself, Scott Penny and Ryan Baird played in the same schools team, and now Baird is coming into the back row. It shows maybe the kind of the size and the profile. Baird can't play in the second row because he's not big enough for inter- international, in my opinion. Like he's he's a, he's going to be. I think he's he's found his position now. He's the, he's the opposite. Like, well, he's kind of the same, but the opposite. He just has to go to a new position. Like, he's a perfect build for an international six. Like, he's an exceptional athlete as as a six, yeah. as an international. But he's not, if you are, in my opinion, he's not as a second row. Like, he's got to come up against Etzebeth. And like, Ty, you know what I mean? He's got to come up against. And Ty Byrne has probably been the outlier. Ty Byrne gives you so much. Ty Byrne is a freak with the. Ty Byrne's the guy who gets you those. He he has that special yeah. talent. He's like he's what I'm talking about. I know I use a, a backline players like Shane Williams and I use Jason Robinson, but they have exceptional talents that allow them to do that. Uh, to allow them to play international rugby. Most international wingers, like I was on uh, just on the edge, but most international wingers are kind of six foot to maybe six foot three. You know, sprinters, they're good in the air, they can move side to side. But those guys have that exceptional ability that, that you'll say, Do you know what? We'll give up that weakness that they have in the air um, because we know we're gonna, they're going to, you know, the, the spark that they create somewhere else. Baird is the, is the forward version of that where you go, Look, you, you want him in your team because he's got that power, that ability, that physical prowess. But does he have the weight behind my tight head proper, behind my loose head and hooker? No, I, I don't think he probably does, but I think he's going to be a brilliant six. Um, and that's the same kind of thing for, for Penny. Like you say, well, look, if he was fetching balls and literally every single time there's a breakdown, it's two or three seconds longer because Scott Penny's there or he's getting you, you know, four or five or six turnovers a game on the deck. You're kind of saying, geez, I don't know if I can leave this guy out. Like, you know, it, it weakens my line out. It weakens my scrum because I don't have the weight. Um, but you know what? I get way more out of this fetching and it suits our, the way the, the style of, of game that we're trying to play. That's what he. That's where he needs to get. There. I just think it's too. It's too far. It's too big a bridge for him to get there. And I think the other guys that are, are kind of similar to him and do those things very well, like Josh van der Fleer isn't a huge man, but he does all those things for you, and he's bigger. And that's generally the difference maker. If you think about it in the aggregate, the big numbers, um, or you think about it in the average, that's what. That's generally what wins out an international level. Everyone's usually a brilliant rugby player, but they're also the right size generally. Well, I'd like to thank Rory and Luke for joining me tonight on the first left wing of 2023. Plenty covered there and plenty to look forward to over the next couple of weeks. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So until next week, thanks so much for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.